Is this here? 9-9. Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Hello, I'm Vince Hunt and welcome to our podcast series, Sports in the Cold War. So far, we've looked at more than 20 important themes in Cold War sports history, with plenty more to come. Why not follow the series on Twitter with the hashtag Cold War Sports, or rate and review the shows on iTunes, or drop Laura Deal an email at the Wilson Centre with your thoughts. The question of professional athletes has long bothered the world of sport, particularly in the Olympics, which were originally designed to be competition between amateurs. And when the athletes are from the Soviet Union, the issue of professionalism becomes even more complicated. Sylvain Dufres from the Sorbonne in Paris is studying the development of elite athletes in the Soviet Union from the 1930s, and I'm delighted that he's with me now. Sylvain, I imagine that this is a, a particularly difficult issue. Yes, it's a particularly difficult issue because uh, the sportsmen in the Soviet Union are said to be amateurs. And uh, during the Cold War, this question was used in international federation or in the higher sea to uh, discredit Soviet sports, the issue of amateurism and professionalism. So uh, when the um, Soviet Union had, had decided to enter this arena uh, of international sports, uh, to decide to enter federation, IOC, they, uh, in the federation, they were quite nervous about the situation. And uh, so they looked uh, upon the, the situation of sportsmen uh, and of elite of athletes in in the Soviet Union. For example, in the, the HIOC archive, we can find a lot of letters uh, from the HIOC president, Ed Strom, to the other members of the executive committee, where he is giving uh, information about the situation in the Soviet Union through uh, Swedish newspapers, through French newspapers, and to explain that they are not amateurs and that they are not practicing sports as uh, they should be uh, and that they are not respecting the international rules of sports. What would you consider to be the definition of professionalism? I mean, for example, that's to be paid for something that you do. There are ways around that if you're given a, a flat, if you're given a car. Uh, the question of professionalism is quite uh, difficult, uh, and particularly in sport, uh, because at first sociologists have shown that uh, the process of professionalization may be multifaceted. First, it could be earning money from an activity. It's the first definition of professionalization. But other sociologists have shown that also it's uh, having a career, doing a career in sport. And so in sport uh, and in the Soviet Union, this issue uh, may be uh, quite different. You can uh, earn money from a fictitious job, but also from uh, you can be professional because uh, you uh, are given a flat by the sports society or you are given um, all the money, uh, money bonuses uh, from sports societies and from the state. So it's quite intricate. And I imagine from your perspective that it's been a little detective work in identifying what you call professionalism and what the Soviet athletic system would say is not 
professionalism? This question is quite interesting because uh, from the 30s uh, till the, the 80s, there are a lot of law regulation to, to make this process of professionalization. During the 30s and at the beginning of the 40s, uh, at the end of the 40s, the uh, sportsmen are paid by sports societies and they're registered as, for example, uh, coach attendant or um, cooker or um, accountant. So uh, they had fictitious job. And uh, in 1947, there is a big reform about economy in the Soviet Union to do economy, in fact. <laughs> and so they, they did a big reform and they created grants for sportsmen in 1947, but only 610 grants for top athlete sportsmen. And to get these grants, you should have a, a high level of practice and uh, being part of the national uh, or the Soviet team. And uh, you could earn, uh, for example, um, the biggest amount is 2,000 rebels amounts, which is very big for in the society of the end of the 40s. Sports societies, to attract the best sportsmen, offered sportsmen flats, putyovki, vusher to, to have holidays, and also camera to do photos, and also sportsmen were given um, cars by uh, sports societies. But it was not by the state. It was uh, a mean for sports societies to attract the best sportsmen in their sports societies. So it's interesting to see that even in Soviet Union, there are uh, a sort of capitalism and capitalist laws in the realm of sport. And because of the system of, of sports societies almost sponsoring and supporting an athlete, do we get the development post-war of elite clubs? Uh, yes, this system uh, was in fact uh, used by sports societies to develop football team and also hockey team. And one of the, the best examples uh, we can use is the example of the son of Stalin. The son of Stalin, at the end of the 40s and at the beginning of the 50s, had decided to create his own sports society and to attract the best sportsmen. He offered them a lot of money, flats in very nice place, and also cars, and so on. And so the other leaders of sports societies are, were writing, um, had written letters to the leaders of the Physical Culture Committee to say that it's not possible that one man can attract all those sportsmen in his own sports society. So they, are, they, they had written the sport committee letters to, to ask it if he could regulate this part of sports. So this is Stalin's son yes. creating a sporting dynasty using corrupt methods. It was not corruption. It was uh, the system as functioned during the 30s. So he was using not corruption, he was using the way sports societies have functioned. And it was not illegal to do that. Uh, all the sports societies, even the, the leaders who had written those letters, did that. So, uh, and so they were against the son of Stalin because the, the scale was too big. And so was Stalin's son successful 
in creating a sporting dynasty. He was successful in creating uh, one of the biggest uh, team in one of the biggest sports society in the USSR, but only for a few years, because uh, in the middle of the 50s, his sports societies disappeared. And so um, I think it's linked to Stalin's death. So after Stalin's death, his son was no longer really as influential as he had been. Yes, in the realm of sports. Let's talk about the cartoon that you've chosen to illustrate the dynamics of this argument. Tell me a little about uh, about the illustration. Uh, this illustration uh, has been um, published. Uh, had been published in uh, Crocodile, uh, satirical newspapers. And what's interesting in this cartoon is that you have critical view about professionalization of sportsmen within the USSR. Uh, you can see uh, on this cartoon, uh, first part, uh, three sportsmen are doing uh, breaking records. Um, one skaters, uh, one skier and a motorcycler. And they are breaking world records. They are very performant uh, on tracks and uh, in stadiums. But on the second part of the cartoon, they are not uh, on tracks and in stadiums. They are in political lesson. And in political lesson, these record breakers are not as good as on tracks. And they cannot read, for example, books. And so that's very funny because as they are training all day long, they cannot have proper education and so they are illiterate and so they, can, they cannot read what professors want them to read. And it's very, very interesting to see that in this cartoon and in Crocodile because it is at the moment where in other newspapers, sportsmen are described as well-educated men, uh, very literate men uh, who are practicing sports and reading poems. And so it's not the image the government wants to promote in this case. So there is an educational price to pay for the professionalization of athletes. Yes, there is um, a price to pay to professional sportsmen and these topics will pop up again at the end of the 50s because there are scandals about sportsmen. The most well-known is the scandal with uh, Streltsov, a footballer, uh, who um, is said to have raped uh, a girl and uh, it was a big scandal in, in the press. Uh, many, many articles to criticize uh, what Soviet powers have created. And they have created sportsmen, but very illiterate and also ill-educated sportsmen. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal.